Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, November 16. Hello everyone, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to livestock feedlots to the wheat and corn fields across the country. And along with Max Armstrong, we'll be doing just that and talking also to Jim McCormick of Allendale, based in McHenry, Illinois, talking about the agricultural market activity. But let's start with a look at Wall Street that has been impacted again by geopolitical activity, but it's also been impacted by the wildfires in California. More about that in a moment. But as we end this trading week, which is the last trading day before a three and a half week trading session, markets will be closed next week, all day Thursday on Thanksgiving Day, and they'll be closing at 12 noon the day after Thanksgiving on Friday. So make your marketing plans accordingly. But today, As we look at the end of this trading week, the S&P 500 and the Dow rose after President Trump said the United States may not have to impose further tariffs on Chinese goods. But then falling shares of NVIDIA Corporation dragged down the NASDAQ today, and all three indices had been lower in early trade as an underwhelming outlook from NVIDIA weighed on the tech sector. And of course, Apple has been under scrutiny all week after some suppliers said they had been told to cut back on the ingredients Apple needs for the Apple iPhones. So, and the stock market moved higher today too after the president said China seemed willing to make a deal on trade. And one analyst based in St. Louis, said the market is paying attention very closely to anything surrounding trade. A trade deal would boost expectations for global growth, which would ultimately be good for stocks. But lagging NVIDIA shares kept the NASDAQ in negative territory as its shares tumbled 19% after the chipmaker pointed to the decline in cryptocurrency mining as the cause of its declining sales. And Facebook shares also dropped 3%. On renewed concerns, the company would face regulatory scrutiny following a New York Times reporter report on Wednesday about the company's attempts to deflect criticism of its handling of Russian propaganda. So for the day, the Dow Industrial Average up 123 points to end at 25,413. The S&P 500 up six points to end the week at 2736. But the Nasdaq down 11 points to end the week at 7247. And comments from Richard Clarida, the newly appointed Federal Reserve Vice Chair, that U.S. interest rates were nearing the central bank's estimates of a neutral rate, also brought support to stocks. But for the week, all three indices posted losses. The S&P 500 fell 1.6%. The Dow lost 2.2%. 
and the Nasdaq down 2.1%. S&P 500 utility stocks also jumped, advancing one and a third percent as PGE Corporation shares surged 37.5%. More on that in just a moment or so. The oil market today edged slightly firmer after volatile trading during the session, supported by expectations that the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, would agree to cut output next month, although prices fell for the sixth straight week amid concerns of global oversupply of oil. OPEC kingpin Saudi Arabia is keen for the major producers to cut output by 1.4 million barrels per day. Uh, it's about 1.5% of global supply to support the market. Today, Brent crude settled 14 cents higher at $66.76 a barrel, and U.S. crude settled unchanged at $56.76. 46 cents a barrel. So now let me uh, talk a little bit more about the situation in the stock market created by the wildfires in California, because the wildfires created problems for Pacific Gas and Electric. And the, uh, well, let me share the story. The chief of California's top utilities regulator said today he was, quote, stunned and terrified to learn that reassurances he made to investors about Pacific Gas and Electric caused the embattled power utility stock to jump over 40 percent. That happened in a matter of minutes. Uh, the stock had nosedived earlier this week on fears that without help from California's government, the utility could go bankrupt should it eventually be found responsible for the state's deadliest ever wildfire. California Public Utilities Commission President Michael Picker told Reuters today that utilities must be able to borrow money cheaply in order to properly serve ratepayers. That echoed comments he made on an investor conference call organized by Bank of America on Thursday when he said he could not imagine allowing the state's largest utility to go into bankruptcy. Picker was surprised hours later on Thursday to learn that PGE's stock had surged over 40% in extended trading in reaction to his comments. Picker said, I was stunned and terrified. The shares of the utility closed today up 37%, $24.40 on the New York Stock Exchange. With PG&E potentially facing mounting costs from wildfires, the regulator would also consider potential options to restructure the company, including separating its electricity and gas units. So wildfires having an impact on Wall Street, no doubt of that. Now let's look ahead to next week. As I said, it will be a holiday-shortened trading week. Markets closed on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, and closing at noon on Friday after Thanksgiving Day. 
Tuesday of this week, Target Corporation expected to post a strong rise in quarterly sales and profit in its third quarter as consumers continue to visit and spend at its stores in a strong economy. Lowe's companies expected to post a dip in same-store sales in the third quarter on Tuesday. Signs of a slowing housing market mount due to higher prices and a lack of supply. Deer and Company will report its fourth quarter earnings in pre-market hours on Wednesday. The company expected to report a higher quarterly profit, but investors will watch out for the 2019 earnings guidance to get a better sense of the impact of the U.S.-China trade war on the farm economy. Coles Corporation, the department store chain, will report third quarter results on Tuesday. Gap Incorporated Tuesday expected to report an increase in quarterly revenue and profit for the third quarter, helped by sales of its money-making Old Navy apparel brand. And then on Tuesday, Best Buy expected to report an increase in its third quarter revenue as a strong U.S. economy has boosted demand for appliances and consumer electronics. And then there's Campbell Soup Company, which is embroiled in a bitter proxy fight with activist shareholder Third Point. It's expected to report lower first quarter earnings on Tuesday. And Hormel Foods Corporation expected to report its fourth quarter earnings on the same day, along with Medtronic, Barnes & Noble, and Foot Locker. And government reports, well, the Commerce Department report Tuesday expected to show an increase by 24,000 units in October's housing starts. That would be up from 1.2 million units in September. Come Wednesday, the Commerce Department, in a separate report, publishes durable goods numbers, orders for non-defense capital goods excluding aircraft, possibly added three-tenths of a percent in October. And then on the same day, the Labor Department likely to report a decrease in the number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits for the week ended November 17th. Wednesday's list also includes existing home sales numbers, which are expected to increase to 5.2 million units in October. So a lot going on in a holiday-shortened trading week coming up on Wall Street this week. What's going to be happening or impacting the agricultural commodities market? Well, Max Armstrong will check in with Jim McCormick of Allendale to get that answer when we continue on The Markets, sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. With us in the studio this weekend, Jim McCormick from Allendale to talk about markets for a moment. 
Jim, we've seen climbing soybean prices, and that's all in anticipation of that key meeting that the president might have. Give us some of the background on that for someone who hasn't been following this closely. Well, right now, um, earlier in the year, the beans are trading over $10. The market was optimistic. The China, our biggest buyer, had continued to buy our beans, and the trade rhetoric was kind of ratcheting up, but nothing had been hit yet. Memorial Day weekend hit. Um, a lot of people thought we had a trade deal with the Chinese. I think Steve Muchin had worked it out. It fell apart at the last minute. The bean market crashed. Plain and simple, China's is our biggest buyer of beans. If they're not buying our beans, we're going to have an oversupply in the United States. And it broke the market hard, broke it down to near $8. Now, recently, we've kind of worked our way back up toward the $9 level as there's been optimism as we build to this G20 meeting that maybe we can get a deal cut and we can get China back buying our beans. Because for the most part, Max, they haven't bought a bean since these tariffs kicked in. So there's a lot of optimism pushing this market up on this. And if they can get a deal done and kind of get a ceasefire and maybe get China buying some beans, I think you'll see a little bit more to this rally. Unfortunately, if it falls apart and we don't get any new deals done and they ratchet up the trade tensions, we're probably going to see the beans slide back down to the lows and potentially even take those take those lows out. Haven't there been some beans, some United States beans that have wound up in some way, shape, or form getting to China, maybe being processed elsewhere into meal and then shipped in? There has been a little bit of way of China's kind of doing a workaround. Plain and simple, the Argentinians had a lot of beans. They traditionally take their beans, crush it, and then sell the meal. Well, because of the tariff, the Argentinians and the Brazilians, for that matter, have made a lot of money selling beans, being able to mark them up a little bit just shy of our tariff premium that the Chinese would pay. So what happened was the Argentinians were emptying their bins, selling the beans to the Chinese, in essence, and then refilling their bins with the U.S. beans. So in a way, we are getting some beans probably into China, kind of a backdoor front. But the fact is we really need to get that direct shipment. Um, the Pacific Northwest is where pre- traditionally a lot of beans go out. A lot of the Dakota beans, the South Dakota beans are produced are meant to go to the Chinese market. So um, we're seeing just a horrible cash prices in the Northern Plains because those beans are not, they're just sitting on farm, unfortunately, and some of them sitting in bags under snow at this time of year. There's not another option for those beans where they're going to go. And some are still in the field, I guess, now that I think about it. Uh, About 10%, I think, left out there yet in North Dakota as of last weekend, along with about 30% of the corn crop still out there. So the dates for this meeting coming up are when? Well, the meeting technically starts June, or excuse me, November 30th is when the G20 meeting is. This is actually a side meeting between between Trump and the Chinese. They haven't, as far as I know, set an official timetable date, you know, specific hour when they're going to meet, but the, the it should be that November 30th time frame. So um, I would look for a little bit of choppy volatile trade building into it and then coming out of it. Um, hopefully it gives us a nice Santa Claus rally, uh, but uh, I think uh, it's not just going to be the beans, Max, that's going to be affected by it, the hogs. The China's had this huge problem with this African swine flu, their heart, their herd's getting beat up by it, but they're not buying our pork. So if, if you could get the deal done, I think you kind of get a kind of a lot, rising tides lift all commodities if something would be able to finally be worked out. Some might say there is pressure on the president to come up with some kind of an agreement, but here we are already on the other side of the election. Um, we know the outcome of that. Some people would argue that this president isn't nearly as prone to political pressure as others. How do you assess that landscape? Is there more pressure on him after the election now? Simply because he has to work with with the Democrats in the House. I think, that, you know, I would guess he still has a little bit of pressure. I mean, the fact of the matter is the rule base is his base. Those, those are who put him into Congress. Those are who voted for, for the most part, a Republican Congress, as the Republicans extended the Senate 
their Senate control. So I, I think he's going to feel a lot of pressure. I think when you when you hear this surveys of the farmers, they've hung with him pretty well. They, they in general, they have faith that he's going to get this worked out. I would guess he is going to feel some heat, though, because I, just talking to my customers, I think they'll be very, very frustrated if something doesn't happen soon because we're running out of time, plain and simple. The Brazilian harvest is going to be coming online within 30 days, and it's only going to ramp up. You're talking 120 million metric ton crop, a monster crop that we're going to be competing with. And then sooner than later, we've got to start talking about planting the 2019 crop. And cash flows are still very, very tight. So uh, I think the pressure is going to be on them, hopefully. And, you know, maybe that's what we need. You know, we need the farmers to put pressure on the Trump administration to get the deal done on our end of it. Just like the, uh, you know, the Chinese are feeling pressure due to their stock market being quite weak after the tariffs have taken hold. So, uh, you know, both these gentlemen, um, I think, are feeling the pressure. And hopefully that pressure will lead to a positive outcome. Jim, when we get into this period post-Thanksgiving and ahead of Christmas, don't we continue to see many years a, a little bit of a rally there in the grain market in the early days of December? In the early days, yes. We tend to get a little bit. You know, the old axiom in the trade seems to be like the bears get Thanksgiving, bulls get Christmas, or vice versa. The markets are a little bit depressed. So hopefully we can get a kind of that seasonal rally. But I, I truly, Max, think a lot of this is going to hinge on how these trade deals sure. play out. If, if If they would really stumble hard and we're ratcheting up the tariffs, like he's threatening tariff everything across that gets imported from China. I, I don't see how that could be bullish to the market. I think it it'll put put the market in a very sour mood, unfortunately, going to the end of the year. So uh, let's let's be optimistic. And hope something can get worked out. World usage of soybeans is going to be a, a problem for some time to come, is it not? I mean, even if we resolve this uh, current spat with China. Uh, aren't we going to continue to have more beans than we need in the world? Right now, without a weather problem, we are at this point, the, between the U.S. and the ramped up production in South America, we are overproducing, as you, plain and simple. The United States is going to have a, right now, is projected carryouts just shy of a billion bushels. Think about that. You could probably lose four or five million acres of beans next year, and your carryout would fall back to maybe three, four hundred million bushels, which is still high by historical standards. So, yeah, we've got a problem. We need to, um, kind of back off bean production, which I think we will. I think we'll lose some bean acres right now. And we also need to expand that demand, plain and simple. We've got to keep uh, the crushers in the world using the beans because um, that's about the only way we're going to get rid of this problem or have a weather problem. Corn is a different story, isn't it? But but with the increase anticipated increase in corn acres in 2019, will that turn to be a little bit darker story? Well, right now, the corn situation is kind of a little bit weird um, right now. Well, what happened last week? Uh, you know, the government, China did this big revision of production, a 10-year um, backtrack said, oh, wow, our production is a whole lot bigger than what we thought. And essentially, they add about 150 million metric tons to the world carryout. And that kind of shocked the market because the world carryout up until then was projected some of the tightest in 30, 35 years. Well, that kind of spooked the market a little bit, because, but China doesn't export corn. So the reality is the world stocks historically are relatively tight. And hopefully that'll give us a rally. But yeah, in the really big picture, Max, let's say we plant 5 million more acres of corn. You're going to add almost a billion bushels to the production. I don't think our demand can handle that. So, you know, producers need to, in the big picture, when they can lock in profits, they need to take advantage of it. They need to be watching the market closely and recalling, you know, earlier this year, there was that opportunity pre-Memorial Day to put some good prices in, weren't there? There were. I mean, we there's a lot of producers right now that are delivered grain this fall and had some fantastic prices. The market gave them that opportunity. I do think the market is going to give the market, will give the opportunity in the corn 
And if the, we get a trade deal with China, we'll get an opportunity in the beans. But the farmers really need to, you know, cash flows are tight. They need to take advantage of it. What do you think of all of that grain that is stored out there in non-traditional places this winter? I, and and it, it came home to me just uh, about a week ago, flying at around 2,500 feet from Kansas City to the Quad Cities and going over areas of Missouri and Iowa. I couldn't help but notice those white bags out there that uh, farmers have opted to use to store some grain out there. Well, you know, it, the technology is there to hold it. So I, I don't think quality is going to be a biggest problem. I, I think the biggest problem we have that we got to be careful about in our industry is the prices are depressed this fall. Because of the whole tariff, we've had an oversupply of grain. The farmer has essentially stuffed it anywhere he could. And the, the bags, as you put it, look, you know, just like big old snakes laying out in the fields are where we're holding it. But as we get into the springtime, they got to start moving that product. And they've got to be very cautious about that because essentially we'll be moving our product on-farm, off-farm, stuff in the field. At the same time, the Brazilians and the Argentinians are harvesting. And we could essentially put a glut in the market. So the farmers have got to be very careful, I think, and not get too complacent of just holding the beans and trying to forget about it. They, they need to take advantage of market opportunities because the, more co- the competition is only going to build into the springtime as South America's harvest ramps up. This November rally that we saw over the past few days, was that enough to price them out of producers' hands? You know, I don't think so. I, You know, we're, if you look at the price of beans, they're back to nine. They're kind of at the high end of the range. I think the producers have sold the beans they want to sell at these levels. I think we can have the 20, 25 cents. I think they'll start breaking free. Same thing for corn. The corn market's down around 365, 375. The farmers really aren't too interested in selling. I think you get it closer to the $4 level basis, the March contract. I think you will start seeing grain break free as they try to start making this movement into the wintertime and try to you know, keep the product, keep the pipeline full. Jim, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Jim McCormick with Allendale Incorporated. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Well, in the world of agriculture, as we approach Thanksgiving Day here in the United States, we get another bad news report on African swine fever from China and a bad news report here in the United States. Couldn't come at a worse time. A ground turkey recall linked to deadly salmonella. But let's look at the China situation, first of all, because China's efforts to stem the spread of African swine fever dealt a fresh blow today when the agricultural ministry confirmed it had found the first case in a wild boar. And that deepens a three-month-old crisis for the world's top pork producer. And uh, while China is the largest producer and consumer of pigs and pork, China also has a large population of wild boar, and that animal can harbor African swine fever without showing symptoms, and it's estimated that there are 33.5 million wild boar in China. And the country also confirmed the first outbreak in the southwest province of Sichuan. That's the country's leading hog-producing region. 
and that raised the likelihood of a major impact on pork supplies in coming months. Uh, An official with the Chinese government said the new case means that it will be even more difficult to control African swine fever because how do you control wild boars? So China continues to deal with that, and as a result, the world deals with African swine fever because it is contagious and it can be passed around with the travel that we have today. It's easy to get from one part of the world to another, and if you're carrying any kind of a livestock disease, that gets carried as well. Then there is the story uh, that is so untimely for the Thanksgiving Day holiday. Uh, Jenny O. Turkey store sales recall of 91,000 pounds of ground turkey products late Thursday night is the first supplier linked to a salmonella outbreak that has sickened 164 people in 35 states and caused one death. Though the recall covers ground turkey, the Centers for Disease Control reiterated in last week's outbreak update, the outbreak strain of salmonella reading is present in live turkeys and in many types of raw turkey products, indicating it might be widespread in the turkey industry. Also, Thursday's USDA Food Safety Inspection Service recall notice noted that patients have reported eating different types and brands of turkey products purchased from many different stores handling raw turkey pet food and or raw turkey or working with live turkeys or living with someone who handled the turkeys. So that is just very bad timing for the Thanksgiving holiday and the turkey industry. In other news, uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture today terminated a farm aid contract with Chinese-owned Smithfield Foods, terminating a $240,000 purchase contract with Smithfield that had been awarded under the Trump administration's agricultural trade bailout program. The move comes weeks after Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, one of the country's biggest farm states and the biggest hog-producing state, slammed Smithfield for receiving what he said was aid from the USDA that was meant to help American farmers hurt by China's trade tariffs. The USDA spokesman today said Smithfield requested to terminate their contract awarded under the Food Purchase and Distribution Program, and USDA has agreed to that termination. Whether or not that will satisfy Senator Grassley of of Iowa remains to be seen. But then let's look at another turkey story that uh, is a little brighter. A pair of South Dakota turkeys will make their way to the nation's capital in the hopes of receiving a presidential pardon and avoiding ending up as Thanksgiving dinner at the White House. 
Tourism officials in the Bird's hometown of Huron, South Dakota, paraded the turkeys around the city on Wednesday, part of a formal send-off. And although the turkeys have been presented to presidents for about 70 years and have been receiving pardons since 1989, this is the first year that South Dakota was chosen to present a gobbler. The 40-pound birds chosen from a flock of 50 plump candidates that were raised on a farm north of Huron, South Dakota, by turkey farmer Reuben Waltner. And if they do get the presidential pardon, then the turkeys will go to Virginia Tech University in Blacksburg, Virginia, where they can live out the rest of their years. Let's take a look at where the market's closed today in the grain trade and in livestock. Looking at livestock first, February lean hogs ended up the $3 daily limit at $66.75. The December live cattle contract up 27 cents a hundredweight at $115.42. And the January feeder cattle contract down $1.40 ending at uh, $146.45 a hundredweight. Looking at uh, the grain market today, Chicago Board of Trade, we ended the week with December wheat up one and a quarter cents, 506 and three quarters. December corn down two and three quarters at 364 and three quarters. And no, January soybeans ended up three and three quarters at 8.92 and a quarter. Well, we're out of time. Again, happens every week about this time. But thank you for joining us. Max Armstrong, Orion Samuelson on the market, sponsored by the CME Group. <music>